want to bring us our message this morning. When I, when I did, uh, no, I'm going to pray because this is going to be a, this is going to be a, this is going to be a hard one to preach. So, Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that you'll help me to speak well. You'll help my brothers and sisters to hear well. I want the heart of God to be ministered here this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. When I did Bible college a million years ago, they told us there are different ways of getting sermons. Uh, Hatchems and scratchems and snatchems. So a hatchem is when when you brood on something and it sits there for weeks and months, maybe even. And it's just life is, is coming more and more into it. That's a hatchem. A scratchem is when you just sit at your desk with a piece of paper and a pencil and your Bible and you just scratch your way through it. And you know that you're close to success when drops of blood fall from your forehead. That's a scratchem. And then there's sermons called snatchems, where it seems to just whiz past your eyes, and in four seconds, you've got it all. You just write it all down, and you just then work on refining it. So hatchems, scratchems, and snatchems. Well, this is a hatchem. I've been sitting on this one for quite some time, and it really has worked uh, deep into my own life. And I want to say anything I say this morning applies to me far more and first before it applies to anyone else. I'm very conscious of that. I want to speak about the church at Laodicea. Uh, Those of you who are long-time Christians will know that that church crops up in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, where John, the Apostle John, has a vision And he's visited by an angel of the Lord, if not by the Lord himself. And John is told to write a letter to seven churches. Sheila, maybe put it up. These seven churches were in what we now call Turkey. And uh, the number seven there, if you can barely see it, is the church at Laodicea. So as John wrote to these churches, he encouraged them and he also rebuked them. There were some things they were doing really well, some things they were not doing so well. But for the church at Laodicea, which was the last one in in that letter, there was not a good word to be said. Not a single good word to be said. In fact... It was the church that made Jesus sick. How about that? A church that made him sick. He said, you are so lukewarm that I want to vomit you out of my mouth. This is the church that Jesus loves. And yet he said, you make me sick. I want to... uh, Mel gave two or three stories. I want to give two or three stories before I start as well. Uh, And I'll tell you how I got to where I get, where I'm going to get to. Now, the first story that has been bugging me for a long time 
is sometimes I sit and watch the news, as we all would, and we see the greenies out marching down King William Street or marching down Rundle Mall or marching somewhere and they're, they're protesting about destruction of trees, they're protesting about whaling, they're protesting about uh, burning of coal and I see hundreds of them if not thousands of them out there protesting on whales, trees, climate change. And I see mothers pushing their kids in a pusher. I see older people with walking frames. They're out there demonstrating and complaining and protesting. And then we as Christians put on a pageant or we put on a prayer time or we put on, say, Franklin Graham coming to Adelaide in February of next year. And leadership of these issues has to beg people to come on out, beg them to come on out. When we were doing some carol singing in the mall, just in the last three Saturdays leading up to Christmas, we were lucky if we had ten people there. And of those ten, nine were from our own church. And, you know, we sent out letters and emails to 30, at least 30, more likely 35, churches and leaders saying, look, here's a great opportunity to witness. The Nord pageant is a great opportunity. Come and let's shout out the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the pageant is held, thank God we always do have enough workers, but we barely have enough workers. And when we have balloon inflation and, and gluing of sticks and, you know, all of those things that you've been part of, uh, in, our, in our gluing of sticks, we had one lady come from another church and the bulk of the work was done by us. So something in my heart says, how come the greenies can get 2,000 people out and we Christians are scratching to get a quorum? The second story that I want to tell you about is something that appeared. I've got a handout which I will give to you at the end of the message. Um, it's a, it, it stems from an article that appeared in The Australian a couple of weeks ago. And the writer uh, wrote uh, about persecution of Christians in China. And he said, look, I'm, um, the, the letter that a pastor wrote speaks far more eloquently than I can. So he said, I'm going to publish the letter, uh, but he said, I'm just going to edit a couple of things for the sake of space. And I read this article, and I was absolutely gobsmacked. I've been around a long time, I've heard a lot of things, I've seen a lot of things. But this article just set me back on my haunches. So I dug a little bit deeper. And I just want to tell you quickly the story that goes with this article. And I could say much more, of course, with all things you can say much more. But I'm just going to give you the headlines. And at the end of the sermon, I, I want to hand out these. You know, as you, as you walk past, please take them. But 
It's a declaration of faithful disobedience by a pastor in China. His name is Wang Yi. Wang Yi. This letter was written in September of 2018, so just three or four months ago, and he gave it to his church. And he said, If I get arrested by the police, and if I'm held for more than 48 hours, I want you to publish this letter. And he was held uh, for more than 48 hours. As best I know, he's still being held. And not only was he held, but 100 members of his church were arrested and put into, put into uh, custody. So I've printed up, I found the full text. I've printed it up. I just want to read a couple of words to you. And when, we do, when I do give them out at the end, I ask you please to read them. I know it's a lot of print front and back. But please, this is something that is really uh, heavy and, and is worth reading. So let me uh, read this little bit to you. Just a few things. Um, as a pastor, my firm... This is a letter written to the government, to Xi Jinping, who is virtually a president for life of China. As a pastor, my firm belief in the gospel, my teaching and my rebuking of all evil proceeds from Christ's command uh, in the gospel and from the unfathomable fathomable love of that glorious king. I'm leaving out heaps, but you can get to it. For this reason, I accept and respect the fact that this communist regime has been allowed by God to rule temporarily. As the, as the Lord's servant, John Calvin, said, listen to this fabulous thing. Wicked rulers are the judgment of God on wicked people. The goal, uh, the goal being to urge God's people to repent and turn again towards him. For this reason, I am joyfully willing to submit myself to their enforcement of the law as though submitting to the discipline and training of our Lord. These are strong words. And, and I don't think that I could ever write something like this and live to it. At the same time, I believe that this communist regime's persecution against the church is a greatly wicked, unlawful action. As a pastor of a, Christ, a Christian church, I must denounce this wickedness openly and severely. Missing out some more. For the mission of the church is only to be the church and not to become a part of any secular institution. From a negative perspective, the church must separate itself from the world and keep itself from being institutionalized by the world. From a positive perspective, all acts of the church are attempts to prove to the world the real existence of another world. The Bible teaches us that in all matters relating to the gospel and human conscience, we must obey God and not men. For this reason, spiritual disobedience and bodily suffering are both ways we testify to one another, to, I'm sorry, testify to another eternal world and to another glorious king. Just a little bit more. Precisely 
because none of my words and actions are directed towards seeking and hoping for societal and political transformation, I have no fear of any social or political power. For the Bible teaches us that God establishes governmental authorities in order to terrorise evildoers, not to terrorise doers of good. If believers in Jesus do no wrong, then they should not be afraid of dark powers. Even though I am often weak, I firmly believe this is the promise of the gospel. It is what I've devoted all of my energy to. It is the good news that I'm spreading throughout Chinese society. I also understand that this happens to be the very reason why the communist regime is filled with fear at a church that is no longer afraid of it. How powerful is that? I'm missing heaps, but you can read it later. And so, respectable officers, stop committing evil. This is a church pastor to the big to an army of two million and, and a security system. And so, respectable officers, stop committing evil. This is not for my benefit, but rather for yours and your children's. I plead earnestly with you to stay your hands, for why should you be willing to pay the price of eternal damnation in hell for the sake of a lowly sinner such as I? Man alive. I've got it here. That's story two. Story three uh, reminds me of Israel, old Israel, and the complacency when Israel walked close to the Lord, God just poured blessing and freedom out on them. When they turned away from the Lord and turned to idolatry, he brought in the enemy. The Hittites and the Amorites and the Jebusites, he brought them all in and Israel was taken into captivity. And generally speaking, it stayed there for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years until Israel raised up a cry and said, we can't handle this anymore, we can't handle this anymore. And in the wings, God was preparing a deliverer, a Gideon or a Samson, preparing them in the wings. So, let me read to you just a verse. I don't want to talk about it. Proverbs chapter 1. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. The complacency of fools. Complacency means... Yeah, 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 yeah. And the Bible promises that in time that that will destroy them. And so, in my opinion, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, the church in the West is in very steep decline. The church in Africa and Asia and South America seems to be roaring along as people with a, a lot less... Uh, what's the word? A lot less comforts than we have um, are reaching out to God. But the church in the West is choking on affluence and good times. This writer, not in this article, but another article, wrote this. 
He said, Western society is going mad before our very eyes. You agree with that? Western society is going mad before our very eyes. And I actually read a story about Brexit in England where some university professor is proposing that children as young as six and seven get a vote. Western society is going mad before our very eyes. So let me read to you about this lukewarm church. I, I want you to contrast it with the passion of the greenies. I want you to compare it with the, the strength of this Chinese pastor. And as I have to, had to sit and prepare this and look at my own heart, I really want you to look at your heart as well. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write these things. This is John writing to the church. These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say... I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are actually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he will dine with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as also I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So the charge against Laodicea was, the biggest charge was that it was lukewarm. And the saddest the saddest aspect of it all was that they thought they were doing really well, but they were not. Let's talk a little bit about Laodicea. So, uh, can you get it up again, Sheila? Uh, Laodicea was, is there in western Turkey. It was positioned on, on, we can't see it there, but on crossroads. So Laodicea is where the number seven is. And so if you were travelling east to west... The easiest way was to go through Laodicea. And if you were going north to south, the easiest way was to go through Laodicea. So Laodicea became a real central point. Um, there was no natural water at Laodicea, uh, which was a rotten thing. You know, how can you build a sorry, how can you build a city and not have natural water? So 
The nearest cold water was at a place called Colossae, which was 16 kilometres away. So you know what these people at, at Laodicea did? They got 16,000 blocks, about a metre by a metre. It would be, who knows what it was made of. A metre by a metre by a metre. And they cut a hole in the middle of them. And they laid 16,000 of these things and they joined them with cement so that they could pipe in cold water to Laodicea. Now, 10 kilometres away was a town called Hierapolis. And that had warm springs, hot springs. Still does today. And, of course, these guys wanted hot water as well. So they, put in, they built another... Well, they cut another 10,000 blocks, a metre by a metre by a metre, and they cemented them together, and they were able to bring hot water 10 kilometres from Hierapolis to Laodicea. So they had hot and cold running water. This is 2,000 years ago. Only trouble is, by the time the hot water got there, it was lukewarm. <laughs> but it was better than nothing. And, and that's really the story of Laodicea. It was lukewarm. It was a commercial centre. It had banks. It had woolen mills where it, uh, it, it milled black wool. It had a medical school, a famous medical school. And they produced a salve, an eye salve, for people who had eye troubles. Your horse might have benefited from it, Mel. So... Laodicea was oozing with dollars. In AD 60, there was an earthquake. Rome, it, it, you know how there's earthquakes all, all the time in that region. Uh, Imperial Rome said, listen, we can help you out. We can help you rebuild your city. And Laodiceans were so self-sufficient, so wealthy, so on top of things, they said, no, thank you very much. We can rebuild it ourselves. You can keep your money. And so Laodicea was just riding high. And what Jesus found there made him sick. He said, I'd rather you were red hot or I'd rather you were stone cold. But don't be in the middle. Now they thought that they were okay because it says here, uh, because you say, this is the church of Laodicea, we're not talking about the footy club, not talking about the casino, we're talking about the church. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing. Don't you realise that you are actually wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked? It's bad enough to be poor, blind, miserable and naked. It's bad enough to be like that. But it's even worse to think that they were doing all right. <laughs> you know, if you know you've got a problem, you can start to solve the problem. But these people didn't even think they had a problem. They thought, we're doing great, we're doing great. So instead of fashioning the world... Uh, the world had fashioned them. They had become just like everyone else. The only difference was, I guess, that
that they, they could put their chest out and say, well, at least we don't rob banks. Probably true. And uh, we do help little old ladies cross the street. That's a good thing. But that's not what Jesus was really talking about. He, was, he wanted someone to be hot and strong for him. Remember, this was a church, not a, not a footy club, not a soccer club. And in all of the New Testament, certainly, there is no more harsh punishment than, or harsh criticism than was given to this, um, to this lukewarm church. Uh, it's a condemnation unequaled in Scripture. So Jesus offered them a remedy. He offered them a way out of their dilemma. He said in verse 18, um, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. So the real, the real wealth was going to come from Jesus. Pure gold, gold that had been refined by fire. The impurities had been burnt out of it. And what was left now was just pure gold. He says, you take that gold, not, not the stuff you've all got uh, under your mattresses. He said, I want you to get gold from me. He said that you may be rich. White garments that you may be clothed. So the white garments, you know, through the scriptures represent purity and cleanliness and uprightness and righteousness. So he said, um, get those garments from me. He said, you... Uh, you're milling this black wool and you're selling it as carpets, you're selling it as jumpers, you're selling it as, as wealth, you're turning it into wealth. But he said, that's not really what I want. I want white actions, clean actions, pure actions. And then this eye salve, and he said, um, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So remember that this place was famous for producing an ointment. And Jesus said, you get your ointment from me. Goes on in verse 19, as many, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Now you just follow this. We all know the Lord loves us. We've been singing about it all morning. We've been singing about it all over Christmas. We've been singing about it for years and years and years. But Jesus says, as many as I love, yeah, that's, that's us, that's us, I rebuke and chasten. I don't want to be rebuked. I just want to be told how lovely I am, how wonderful I am. He says, I want to rebuke you and I want to chasten you. Therefore, be zealous and repent. The problem, one of the problems we have in our modern society today is that too many fail to chasten you know we have people in our responsibility i had my kids in my responsibility they're all grown up and gone now can't chasten them but it was my job to chasten them when they were there it was my job to train them and disciple them to tell them that's not acceptable that is acceptable good on you for doing that but don't do that again now you would do that in your workplace those of you who are supervisors you would gently and nicely, but you'd call someone and you'd say, look, I know you tried hard, but you really didn't do it well. Next time you do it, I'd like you to do such and such and such. If you do it sweetly, and if they, they know that you love them, then they'll receive that rebuke. 
And we love a lot of people, but we're hesitant to rebuke. That's something our Western world has to deal with. Uh, I think one of the reasons is that people fail to receive chastening. There's a great degree of self-righteousness in people. You can't tell me. Who do you think you are? Well, you know, God's put us in a family together and, and it says in another place we should speak the truth in love. So he says in verse 18 here, uh, 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus standing at the door. We often say the door of our hearts. We could also say the door of our church. We could also say the door of the Western church generally. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear. And, and I would finish that thought saying, if we've got ears, please try and hear what God's trying to say to us this morning. Please try and hear it about lukewarmness. The problem with these people was they thought they were doing great, but the, the worst of it was that they weren't. Laodicea got lukewarm. They were overtaken by their surroundings. To what degree has, has the Western church been overtaken by its surroundings? More importantly, to what degree have we individually been overtaken by surroundings? I just want to rip through some things. And listen, I'm, as, I'm, as, I'm in the middle of this too. I'm not pointing my finger out there at everyone. I'm saying I'm, I'm caught up in this as well. Materialism. Just come through Christmas. <laughs> Hedonism. Hedonism means just living for a good time. Libertarianism means don't tell me what to do. I'm the king of the castle. I do what I want to do. Chasing entertainment got all of that TVs and the iPads and all of the things that come with that. Sexism. Church. This, this pastor wrote here, he said, I just, all, I'm, all I'm busting myself to do is bring people to a knowledge of Jesus and bring them out of darkness into salvation. And yet many parts of the church are caught up in quotas and having you know, more women on this and less men on this and white male privilege that's not what god put this guy on this earth for he put him on this earth to declare the goodness of god and the salvation that is on offer multiculturalism racism with respect the church has no no bailiwick there the church has been called to declare heaven and hell, and salvation, and forgiveness, and reconciliation with God. And that must be your and my primary 
calling. These other things are peripheral. More important than anything is men and women's salvation, their future, heaven and hell. Instead of changing our world, we've become barely distinguishable from our world. Now, it's easy to get lukewarm. How do you get lukewarm? Well, you just move away from the fire. You move away from the heat. You know what it's like. You go camping and you get this roaring great fire going and when it really catches, you've got to move back because it is so powerful and so strong. Well, some people spiritually take it too far and they move right away and they become lukewarm. Let's do a heat test, a quick heat test. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, your Bible, how often is your Bible out or is it getting dusty? Prayer, on a scale of 1 to 10, if that's a good uh, test of lukewarmness, do you rate one or do you rate nine or seven? Love. Harry and Rain spoke about love this morning. I'm glad. It's a wonderful indicator. But in, in our own lives, how much love are we displaying to those around about us? More especially to our immediate family. Uh, money. How, how, how tightly does money grab us? On a scale of 1 to 10. We all got to use it. You know, you get your rates notice and it's, they're looking for 2,000 bucks. You need money to do that. But is it grabbing us and making us lukewarm? Is that where our efforts are? Uh, our time. I enjoy the cricket as much as anyone. More than some. And so I've been laying on the couch the last few days watching Australia get murdered. Hours and hours of it. <laughs> Am I spending that time in my Bible, in my prayer closet? Church life, is it a, is it a burden? Is it a minimums or is it 10 out of 10? Do we throw ourselves into church life? Lost souls, how caring are we for lost souls? Finding God's plans for you. How, how hot and strong are you about finding God's plan for you? Again, we heard it this morning. Harry's got a heart for bridging that uh, social, cultural thing. Good on you, mate. Go, find it, because only you can do it. I can't do it, he can't do it, but you can. You can reign. Finding God's plan for you. Now listen, I'm not suggesting that we all become Amish people. You know, give our cars away and get a horse and a buggy. I'm not suggesting that. I'm not suggesting we all live in caves and switch off electricity and go off, off the grid, you know, that sort of thing. But our life emphasis ought to be the extension of God's kingdom. How can we do that more? How can we do that more? There was an article, I think it was in the most recent Eternity magazine or maybe the one just before, 
and I haven't got the words exactly, but, you, but you, you, you'll understand what I'm, what I'm going to say. It provoked me that a person was a missionary disguised as a machinist in a factory. Did you read that? A missionary disguised as a machinist in a factory. We've got missionaries here who are disguised as teachers and as doctors and as shop assistants and as uh, social workers, uh, as engineers. They're actually, firstly and foremost, they're missionaries. Secondarily, they're engineers and teachers. And, 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 and part of the call on, on my life is to find what God put me on this earth for and move into that. And if I can get some money along, along the way and have some good times, then thank you, Jesus, for that. But my first call, is to find his will for my life and move into it. So what does this message ask us to do? Well, the reality is that we're not all called, called to go to Africa or Bolivia or Philippines. We're not all called to do that. But let me say, if you are called to go to Africa, then go to Africa. If you're called as a missionary to Bolivia, then go to Bolivia. Don't sit here. But if you're called to be a missionary in Adelaide, then let's all be missionaries in Adelaide. In the schools, in the kids' clubs, in the youth groups, in our workplace, with our neighbours, let's be missionaries to them, disguised as neighbours, disguised as friends. So be committed. Commit yourself to be red hot for Jesus. All day, every day. Not lukewarm. The tendency is to lukewarm. But wherever you are, if you're at school, if you're at work, if you're wherever you are, commit yourself to be red hot for Jesus. In Acts chapter 17, Paul says, it's in him that we live and move and have our being. The first commandment in Matthew 22 is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. That's the first and greatest commandment that we have. And if you're a teacher, then that's secondary to that first commandment. If you're an engineer, it's secondary to that first commandment. If you're a shop assistant, secondary. The first calling is to love the Lord and the second commandment, of course, is to love people. So I ask us all, to reignite that first love that we all had, that passion for him, that passion to win souls. Let's reignite it. In a marriage, there's the passion of those first years and then it settles into a different sort of level. More understanding more appreciation, more accommodation, different from the first because you're learning lessons along the way. We as Christians, some of us have been Christians for a long time, I, I'm not sure that we'll re regain our first passion, but let's, let's move into that first uh, zeal, but in a different way, in a, in a tempered way. Live out God's word. Do it. If it says it, do it. Imagine those people at the, 
at the wedding that Jesus went to and he said, fill the, fill the jugs, fill the uh, basins with, with water. They don't, well, they don't want water, they want wine. But Jesus was able to do something remarkable with that water. So let's obey God's word. Let's do God's word. I'll tell you something else I've been hatching in my heart. If I'm going to die for a sheep, for a lamb, I might as well die for a sheep. Husbands, lay down your lives for your wives. That's what it says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for it. I'm not going to hit the ladies this morning. I'm just going to hit the men. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for the church. Finally, centre your emotions and goals on extending the kingdom, snatching lives from the devil. Our first calling, beloved, is to extend the kingdom of God. In this man's case, he said, put me in jail, I don't care. And you know, not only did he go to jail, but a hundred of people in his congregation went to jail and are probably still there because... These communists don't muck around. If that's what it means, put me in jail. Well, I don't want to go to jail. I don't think any of us here wants to go to jail. But if that's what it takes, if that's what it takes, if that's what it took, then I hope that I'd be found obedient to the, to the Lord. For all of us, it will be lived out in different ways. For some, it will be a call to Bolivia. For some, it will be a call to Africa. For others, it'll be a call, just keep doing what you're doing, but be red hot for the Lord.